You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Zachariah, Episode 2, with Walter Fite. Today we continue our discussion on the book of Zechariah. And before we have a closer look, let's just ask God's guidance. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will enlighten our minds as we study your word and that you will give us insight and understanding. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we looked at the first section up to chapter 4 of Zechariah in our last discussion, and now we get to some very fascinating prophecies. And uh, if you read the commentaries that we find out there in the world from various sources, then most of these prophecies, they apply only to the time of Israel. But uh, I think it is pretty apparent that, that these prophecies work their way through to the coming of Christ, which could have happened in literal Israel had they fulfilled the conditions of the covenant. But we know that these promises were passed on to spiritual Israel because Paul says so in his writings. So as we look at these prophecies, let us see where we can find parallels with the time that we are living in as well and with the book of Revelation because much of the imagery that we find in the book of Zechariah we also find in the book of Revelation. So they are linked together. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. We're now going to discuss the fifth vision. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. So this is distinct sanctuary language. The plan of salvation is written in sanctuary language. We also find in the book of Revelation, where the author of Revelation, who is Jesus Christ, is introduced, he also stands amidst the candlesticks. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. Now we know that in the literal sanctuary, there were no olive trees next to the candlestick, so these are symbolic. Some people who want to read this literally will make these individuals, but they cannot be individuals. They are symbolic of the oil that is to nurture the candlestick. I answered and spoke to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The candlestick, seven lamps attached to it, 
represents Jesus Christ, the light of the world. The number seven is evidently the number of deity. In the book of Revelation, you have the letters to the seven churches representing a time period. So here we have the light of the world. We have the olive branches standing next to it. And they are supplying oil to the lamps. And it is clear that it says, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So here you have the controlling power of the universe. The spirit of God is in control, whether we can see it or not. It is in control. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt come a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Referring to the great mountain before it, well, all the nations were trying to hinder the construction of the temple. And we are thinking here in terms of an end-time scenario. In other words, the construction of the spiritual temple, gathering the people of God out of every nation, tribe, and creed, and tongue, and bringing them into harmony with God's word. And uh, the obstacle is the nation or the nations around them, the mountains of obstacle. But they shall not prevail, and the headstone shall come forth. And the headstone, of course, is Jesus Christ. The plan of salvation will be made clear. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. What does the Bible say about foundation? There's no other foundation that can be laid than Christ Jesus. His hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. So we do not need to panic. We do not need to be discouraged. The house will be built. Even if the obstacles and the mountains of obstacles surrounding us seem insurmountable, it will happen because God said so. For who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. It might seem to us that the work is progressing slowly, that we do not see uh, tremendous results of our labors. But the word of God is like yeast working its way through the dough. We cannot always discern how it operates and who it reaches. We can get little glimpses, but we need not be discouraged. So this structure, this kingdom of God, this house of God, this gathering of his people will take place. It will be based upon the word of God. It will be based upon the light of the world. It will be based upon the work of the Holy Spirit, not our work, not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit. And now we need to find out what the issue will be. Remember, there's a then-time application, and there is an end-time application. Now, 
when we look at the, the work of the reformers, when we look at the Advent pioneers, how did they see these issues? It's interesting to me that uh, they had some very pertinent ideas which we won't find in the general commentaries of the world today, but it's noteworthy that they saw it from beginning to end. In other words, they incorporated the eschatological views that uh, we also find in the book of Revelation, right here in the book of Zechariah. So let's have a look at the issues and see if we can see any parallels. Please note that uh, I am not saying that this is the absolute essence of everything in the book of Zechariah, but uh, we are told that if we dig deeply, God will help us to understand these things. Because surely he didn't write it down so that it just should decorate the book. Surely these words are written for us. Chapter 5. This is the sixth vision. And now we're getting to the heart of the issue. Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold a flying roll flying in the midst of heaven. Does that sound familiar? Something flying in the midst of heaven? Do we find it in the book of Revelation? Do we find it in the three angels' message? Where we have the angels flying in the midst of heaven? And there is a roll, which is a scroll on which there was written. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll. The length thereof is 20 cubits, and the breadth thereof is 10 cubits. So it's a very specific size. It's a massive roll that we see flying through the midst of, of heaven. And we need to see whether there are any parallels that we can associate this roll with. But let's first get some more details about the roll. Then he said unto me, this is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth, for every one that stealeth shall be cut off, as on this side according to it, and every one that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. So this scroll has writings on both sides, and the one portion of the roll has to do with the dealings of man to man, stealing, for example. Where do we find that? Do we not find it in the Ten Commandments? And the other one has to do with swearing. In other words, being faithful to your oath. So here we have the two tablets of stone in the, in the form of a roll written on both sides, just as the tablets of stones were written on, on both sides. The one tablet was associated with your duty towards man. The other tablet was associated with your duty towards God. So we need some information regarding this scroll. We have its size. It is 20 cubits, and the breadth thereof is 10 cubits. Now, where do we find these dimensions in the Bible? Well, you find them in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 3, where it refers to Solomon's temple. 
and particularly here the dimensions of the porch now the portico or colonnade as it was was on the east side and it says here and the porch before the temple of the house 20 cubits was the length thereof according to the breadth of the house and 10 cubits was the breadth thereof before the house so this is the area where many many events took place within the temple court here was the place within this colonnade where the pharisees had their quarters this is where judgments took place this is where the reading of the law took place this is where curses and judgments and promises were relayed to the people so the porch was a very very important part of the temple and it had a very specific size and it was on the east and when you looked into the temple you were looking at the entrance to the altar of burnt offering and to the holy and to the most holy and then we find it also in verse 23 that there are dimensions that are the same and we read in 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 23 and within the oracle this is now Solomon's temple within the oracle he made two cherubims of olive tree each 10 cubits high it's interesting that these cherubs were constructed of olive wood and the five cubits was the one wing of the cherub and five cubits the other wing of the cherub from the uttermost part of the one wing unto the uttermost part of the other were ten cubits and the other cherub was ten cubits so you have the height was ten cubits and from the one angel's tip of the wing to the other angel's tip of the wing was 20 cubits so there you have the figures 10 and 20 again so the portico or the porch where many of the activities took place where the judgments took place where the consequences of the transgression of god's law were relayed to the people to the law itself where the angels the cherub were the covering cherubs on the ark of the covenant so this scroll is the message of god's covenant the ten commandments flying through the midst of heaven and sending a message to the entire world in other words it's akin to the message of revelation of the first angel and i saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel and they were to proclaim it to every nation and tribe and tongue and people saying give glory to god honor him who made the heavens the earth the sea the springs of water so we have a parallel a message concerning the law of god now what will this message do and i will bring it forth says the lord of hosts and it shall enter into the house of the thief and into the houses of him that sweareth falsely so here you have two aspects you have the thief so in earlier time we read here in verse 3 everyone that shall steal in other words break the second tablet love to your neighbor and everyone that sweareth 
sweareth falsely. So here you have the relationship to your fellow man and you have your relationship to God. And who would those be that swear falsely? Wouldn't it be the systems that have compromised their faith in God? Wouldn't it be those institutions that bring in syncretism and compromise the word of God? Wouldn't it be those institutions that set aside the law of God and its requirements? So it will enter into the houses of the non-religious man who lives in transgression with God, of God's law. And it will enter into the houses, the houses of worship of those that pretend to be in harmony with God, but they swear falsely. They don't adhere to the covenant because they are swearing by his name. Let's read that verse again. I will bring it forth, says the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief. That's the secular man who disregards the law of God and his love to his neighbor. And into the house that sweareth falsely by my name. That's the religious institutions which break the covenant of God and make the law of God of none effect. And it shall remain in the midst of his house and it shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. And uh, it's fascinating to me that when you read the scriptures, Moses would describe the idols of the people as those having been constructed of wood and stone. Let me give you an example. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 16 says, For you know how you have dwelt in the land of Egypt, and how he came through the nations which he passed by. And ye have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were amongst them. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be amongst you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. So these houses that swear falsely, these individuals or institutions that break God's law and do harm to their fellow man, in other words, the transgressors of God's law, will be consumed with their timber, the word stands for the individual human beings, the stones thereof. But then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah. Now here's another interesting prophecy. So, First you have the flying scroll, and now he sees an, an ephah. And this is the seventh vision, and it's, it's, it's a very intriguing vision. And the pioneers of the Advent movement had very distinct ideas about this, this prophecy. Uh, you could make it a local application or you could give it a local application to literal Israel yes but I'm concerned and interested in what could the eschatological dimension be 
So let's have a look at this fascinating prophecy that begins in verse 5. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. We've just had this magnificent description of the power of the law of God associated with his sanctuary service, the holiness thereof, the covering cherubs, the message that goes out to the world. And then we had the warning against the individuals and the institutions that do not adhere to the principles of the law of God. And then we come to these interesting verses. So what was an ephah? Well, an ephah was a standard of measure, and it was used as a dry measure. So grain was sold by the ephah. So it was a component with uh, quite a fair amount of material in it, and it was a standard of measure. He said, moreover, this is their resemblance through all the earth. And now what is this resemblance? And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. Now both of these are measures. A talent of lead was a weight that was put onto a scale. The ephah was a measure of volume. And they are measures of, of things that were used in merchandise selling. And God was very particular about the size of the ephah and the accuracy of the weights that were being used. No false weights. And God warned against those who make uh, it lighter or heavier or smaller or greater. So God was very precise in how he uh, enacted his issues fairly. So there was a talent of lead over this ephah. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. So here was a woman sitting in the midst of this dry measure. Now what is a woman? Well, a woman in prophecy is a church. So if we want to give it a spiritual application, let's use the symbols that the Bible gives us. So the standard whereby things are measured is controlled by a woman who sits within this ephah and she's covered with lead, so you cannot see her. You do not know what is the standard. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, this is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. So for a while, the cover was removed, and the world could see that the measure, that which controls the standards of the world, is wicked. For a moment it was visible. And then the lead cover was put over it again, and it became invisible. And what happened then? It was recognized as wickedness. It was cast back into the ephah. The weight was put back on top of it to contain it. 
Then lifted I up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, wind, ruach, spirit. And they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. Two women. And they have the wind in their wings. So a woman is a church. Two churches or two religious systems come and they lift up the ephah. They have the Ruach, the Spirit with them, but they have the wings of a stork. Now a stork is an unclean bird. So why would these women have the wings of an unclean bird? If you go to the book of Revelation, then you will read in chapter 18 of the book of Revelation. Well, let's go there. Let's read from verse 18, chapter 17. And the woman, church, which thou sawest is that great city, Rome, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And after these things I saw an angel, another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen. It's become a house of devils and the hold of every foul spirit, Ruach, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of a fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities, wickedness. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works, in the cup which she has filled, filled to her double. How much she has glorified herself. And what does she say? She says, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and shall see no sorrow. And then there's the story of all the merchants that are wailing and crying because of her demise. So this is the effect of the second angel's message, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, which is repeated there in Revelation chapter 18. And God's people are called out of these systems that have made null and void God's law. And they warn that the spirit that actuates them is an unclean spirit. So when we read these verses, let's read them with that in mind. And by the way, this is what uh, some of the pioneers believed. So here is the standard of measure. But it is a wicked standard of measure, and it is concealed, and there is a woman controlling it. And that woman, according to Revelation, is the Roman Catholic system, which controls the morality of the world with an altered 
law of God. The basis for morality in the Roman system is not the word of God, but natural law. But interesting, when was the lid removed and she was revealed as wickedness? Well, that could have only happened during the Reformation because the Reformers exposed the system and everybody saw that it was a system which was contrary to the word of God. So the reformers said, sola scriptura, and they said, no, no, not sola scriptura. Tradition is the context in which scripture must be evaluated. So you have two systems of morality in the world. One controlled by natural law, which is the Roman Catholic way of dictating morality, and one by the word of God. And this scroll, this message, has to go out into the world. And when she was revealed and exposed as antichrist system, the world knew it. But then came the counter-reformation. And the counter-reformation took the heat off. And the antichrist was no longer seated in Rome. The antichrist was some future entity that would arise and rule for some literal period of three and a half years here on earth while the church of God had been raptured away. These dispensationalist views are all from the pens of Jesuit Roman Catholic fathers. Cardinal Bellamine was the one who eventually built it up to what it is today and what is being spread by Pentecostalism. But they had the wings of a stork, every unclean and detestable bird, says the book of Revelation. And this wind, this ruach, is a false spirit. Now, do we have churches today that uh, seem to comply with this? And do they have a relationship with Rome? Unfortunately, this is the case. Because the book of Revelation tells us that there are three components to the Babylonian system. The one is the beast system, which pertains to Roman Catholicism, which all the reformers agreed upon was to be associated with Rome. And then there was the false prophet, the one that would perform miracles by which he would deceive the world. So in other words, these miracles were being performed by a false Holy Spirit. And uh, do we have a system like that in the world today? Well, yes, we do. We have a system of Protestantism that does exactly that, that relies on miracles and wonders and signs. And what about the doctrine? What about the truth of God's word? They claim doctrine is not important. God will sort out the doctrine when we come upstairs, they say. So they set aside doctrine, but when you set aside doctrine, you are setting aside the word of God, and you are making the emotion and the feeling the center of what you believe. So fallen Protestantism is one of those two women. Who is the other one? Well, the Bible says it's dragon worship, which means it's spiritism. And spiritism believes that there is no death. 
Spiritism believes the words of the serpent, thou shalt surely not die. And by this threefold union, the system, the anti-typical system of Babylon, will be erected upon this earth. So you have the system of measure, the standard whereby morality is to be judged, which is a wicked system. And this system will be set up with the aid of spiritism and fallen Protestantism, which have signed agreements with Rome that they are back in harmony with the Roman ideologies. So let's read what they will do, these women. Then lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, unclean birds, false Holy Spirit driving them along. And they lifted up the ephah, the standard of measure, the standard of morality, in opposition to God's flying scroll, between the earth and the heaven, and said I to the angel that talked with me, whether do these bear the ephah? Where are they going? And he said unto me, to build it a house. Now, a house? What is a house? A religious system. To build it a house, to give it stature, a religious system. And where are they going to build this? In the land of Shinar. Now, where's Shinar? Shinar is Babylon. And it shall be established and set there upon her own base. Not upon the base of the Bible. Not upon the cornerstone which holds the building together, which is Jesus Christ. No, it denies the atonement. It denies that Jesus Christ died for you. It denies the righteousness of Christ, as we saw with Joshua and the angel of the Lord, that imputed and imparted righteousness. It will be set on its own base, its own morality, and it will become the system that governs the morality of the world. Do we see movements like that in the world today? Absolutely. The Pope has asked for a one-world religion. And they came together in Seoul, Korea, where they signed the document of the Unity of Religion Agreement. And the Protestant world has signed away its faith in righteousness by faith, by signing a document which has such obscure language that it actually supports Roman Catholic doctrine and not Protestant doctrine. Delegation, a Catholic delegation, and I come from e Italy. vi porto il saluto da parte di 150 milioni di cattolici carismatici. And I bring you a salute from 150 million charismatic Catholics. We want to, Lou, kiss your feet as Catholics and just honor you with this gesture right now. Raise up Catholics all over the world. One billion souls of Catholics to come into the kingdom of God. The hour is coming. The chains are broken. The loosing of the Lord upon every single Catholic in the world.
that they would see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A revival will spring forth in the Catholic Church like never before. This is holy because you're breaking the spirit of division you're preparing a great revival well Jesus didn't say this is symbolic of my body he said this is my body he didn't say this is symbolic of my blood he said this is my blood and I believe I always have believed that in the spirit it is his body in the spirit it's his blood so you revere it there's healing in communion Absolutely. I've seen it happen in my own ministry. And there's healing in the Catholic churches because these people are devoted and show up every Sunday. They don't church hop. We hop. They don't. That's why we're sick and many of them are healed. Miraculous, I mean powerful stuff going on in those churches, Catholic churches. People just miracles like you can't believe Let's just have a look and see what we can find uh, in terms of what some of the pioneers believed regarding this issue. One of the early members of the Advent movement was a man by the name of Christian Edwardson. And he wrote a book, Facts of Faith. It is a marvelous book. If you can ever get hold of Facts of Faith, then read it. And he has some interesting things to say. He says, a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. A woman in prophecy symbolizes a church. And in the book of Revelation, this woman is called the mother church, which is drunken with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. It is also represented as that great city on seven mountains in Revelation 17, 5, 6, 9, 18. This woman is said to be trading in all kinds of merchandise, linen, silk, wine, flour, sheep, chariots, souls of men. Revelation 18, 12, 13. A more striking picture of the papacy could hardly be given. For no advantage in the business would escape her vigilance. She always seeks to place her members in strategic government positions and at advantageous labor posts. And the book Facts of Faith. He says, two women are next seen who lifted up the ephah between earth and heaven, referring to Zechariah 5, 8 and 9. That is, after the true nature of the papacy has been concealed, the miracle working power of spiritism in some Christian form and fallen Protestantism, these two women will raise the papacy to the sky. I can only concur that this is the only logical sense in which we can apply this prophecy to the time that we are living in. It's also fascinating to me that the counter to this, God's truth, God's measure of righteousness and justice and true merchandise is the scroll that flies. And remember, that scroll was the same dimension as the porch. So let's just talk a little bit more about the porch and get some interesting parallels about the porch. In Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 16 we read, And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, 
at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east, and they worshipped the sun towards the east. That is a rather startling statement. They were worshipping towards the east. They should have been facing the temple, but they were facing the other way. And these were the leaders of Israel. They were facing the other way. And I'm afraid we will find parallels of that even in our time because this system, this Babylonian system, is so indoctrinating. It is uh, so hypnotic that it has even crept into the ranks of God's people. And many pay more adherence to that than to the word of God and to the testimony of his word. So they are facing the east, following this system. Now, let's have a look at what happened in the porch other than that. In John chapter 10, verse 23, uh, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. This is where Jesus was doing most of his teaching. So there you had the Pharisees teaching one thing, having their own standard of righteousness which they'd written in their construct of the law. And then you had the teacher of righteousness walking in the same porch teaching the people. And there was conflict. Verse 24, chapter 10, John. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, and I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. So these teachings took place in this temple porch, and the conflict between truth and error is associated with the porch. The dimensions of the porch are the same as the dimension of the flying scroll. The dimensions of the angelic beings above the Ark of the Covenant is associated with this exact size. We read in Joel 2 verse 17, Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say amongst the people, where is their God? So the porch is a very prominent place in the Bible. It is a place of decision-making. It is a place of choosing between the blessings and the cursings. So the, the, the message in Revelation chapters 13 to 17 in fact, the whole eschatology as it ex is expounded in the book of Revelation is identical to what we see here in the book of Zechariah. 
So they were going to take the standard of measure. They were going to build a house, a religious structure for the uplifting of the Roman standard of morality. And they were going to become a religious system to control the minds of men. We have choices to make. We have to either choose between the blessings or the cursings. If we transgress God's law, we will transgress on a man-to-man level or on a man-to-God level. And there is only one standard of righteousness. We have a choice to make. Next time, we will talk about the role players in the final conflict as they unfold in the book of Zechariah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your prophecies are astounding. And as we see written in their pages the unfolding of Earth's history, we are compelled to make a decision and to take a stand, either for truth and righteousness or for error. Help us to make right decisions that we receive not of the plagues of those that have become subject to Babylon. And help your people, wherever they are, caught within Babylon, to come out of them, my people, that they be not partakers of that system, but take their stand under the bloodstained banner of Prince Emmanuel. Amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.